Kip, I'd like to hear a little bit about your early childhood. Where were you born? I was born in Brisbane. I'm one of three kids and I have an older sister um, who's two years older than I am and we've always been pretty close, my sister and I. And then we moved to Sydney when I was about five and I went to the same school for primary and high school, not far from where I lived, sort of 10 minutes on the bus. So it was great. It was a little bit of a bubble, which in hindsight is very different to how my kids are growing up now. You know, I just poke down to school, come home and mum and dad who are still in the same house that I grew up in. And then also 13 years younger than me is my brother. Yeah. So the three of us, after school, I went to uni and did nursing. And actually, I went on from school to uni with a good friend of mine who I'm still a really good friend of mine. So we've sort of followed each other for a long time since we're in kindy. No, no childhood is idyllic. That's just in books, of course, in Sophie's. But it sounds like, as you said, you lived a kind of close-knit, typical kind of city-suburban childhood where you knew your neighbours, you, you school was yeah. very close. Really, So, I mean, do, do you feel like where you grew up in the city had a very strong sense of community? Definitely. Yeah, it was pretty idyllic. We were very lucky. Where, where mum and dad's house is, it's on a, on a laneway. Yeah. And so there were families and and all of our houses sort of back onto this laneway. And so that was just, you know, we'd ride our bikes, play games. And so we did. We knew that was our little community, I guess, as a kid. And we'd do a sort of Christmas lane party. And, yeah, we were very aware of who who was around us and interacted a lot with with the sort of local crowd which was great and because my school was not far away a lot of our school friends lived in the local area so it was you know it was pretty pretty good. And do you think like if we're looking at it from a view of um, motherhood and nurturing do you know much if your mother was like did your mother have a lot of support when she was raising you children? Well, mum, she's actually from the UK originally and she married dad over in the UK and then came out to Australia and she was pregnant with my older sister and she didn't know anybody when they first came out. And so she sort of started from scratch and pretty brave move. And my dad's mum was very hands-on and very supportive and then mum sort of merged into my dad's group of friends and their wives, which was, um, you know, lucky for mum, they were a great crowd and and so she was very welcomed by them. You know, looking back on it, it, it was a pretty, it was a big move for her. You know, where she grew up was a small village. You know, she wasn't from London or anything like that. It was more of a farming village and I guess she probably grew up with that sense of community and knowing everyone around you and, you know, helping out Mrs. So-and-so or, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it probably has that definitely, like that's a strong memory from my childhood. Mum 
always had the most delicious afternoon teas ready for us when we got home from school. The neighbours' kids, you know, the laneway kids would come over to to home. And so she was very, yeah, she created a, a terrific home mum for all of us. Yeah. She, and she had always a sense of helping others. I remember her, she used to drive, you know, pick up older people who wanted to get to church or go up to the shops or that sort of that sort of thing. Mm. So and dad too, you know, he he was busy with work, but he, you know, he's been a big one for charity involvement and stuff like that. What about at the school that you went to? Do you remember any really inspirational teachers from there? More primary school teachers actually. And that was it was probably, you know, more a reflection on me. I just sort of cruised, you know, like I sort of wasn't ever one of those highly academic driven students and they were sort of quite the old-fashioned primary school teachers but they they had a good formula I don't know they were sort of really firm but very caring you know so it's funny yeah actually my sister's the same she has strong memories of those primary school teachers I'm a couple of couple of high school the by our biology teacher she was quite funny she used to fag out the back of the staff room and (laughs) We always thought that was pretty, pretty cool. And then come in for the Bunsen burners and light them up. No one who, like not one standout who, you know, was like, as you mentioned before, like a mentor or anything. So what made you decide to do nursing after school? I quite liked the idea, just trying to remember, I'd never really done any work experience as such. I mean, I just quite liked the idea of looking after people and also the, the fact that there were so many different areas that you could go into. And I thought surely one of them I'll like. And I was really keen to travel overseas as well. I I knew that you could travel with nursing Mm. and I was really keen because mum was from the UK Mm. and we had been lucky enough to go back for a few holidays overseas with mum and dad and I was keen to live over in the UK and knew I could work with nursing over there. So that's what I did. Oh, good. And did you end up going into a specialty that you were interested in? Yeah, I did. It was lovely because I was living with mum and dad. One of our neighbours, I used to babysit their kids and she was an intensive care nurse. And she was great because she encouraged me. So you, you became an intensive care nurse and you went over and lived in London, I, I assume? Yeah, yeah, I did, which was great. And, you know, did the usual backpacking thing, traipsing around yeah. Europe and the UK and catching up with my family over there, which was wonderful. So let's move into how this fun-loving intensive care nurse from the heart of Sydney ended up in Oxley. I assume it's because of a man. Was it because of a man? A a man and alcohol was involved, (laughs) as as normally the case, a party. (laughs) So I was living with this friend of mine, Alison, in Sydney, and one of her really good school friends is my husband's sister. So we got invited down to parties and things in the Riverina and that's how we both met our husbands. Oh, so that's nice. And yeah, it was fun. It was such a fun time. 
And then we ended up moving down while we were both just sort of going out with our then boyfriends. We both moved to Griffith and lived together there in Griffith. And just while we sussed up, you know, if this was <laughs> the life for us. So it was such a fun time. It was great. What did you like? I mean, what were your first impressions of moving to Griffith? What do you remember about making that big move now? Well, I'd sort of... Um, it's funny, at the time, I didn't think it was a big move. It was just obviously really exciting to be moving closer to where Bill lived mm. and to be able to see more of him. And I suppose not daunting because I'd sort of made a lot of friends because, we, you know, we'd been doing a bit of toing and froing. And so it was just a really fun time. And I worked at the Griffith Base Hospital and met a new crowd there. Mm. And Griffith's a funny it's not a typical country town I suppose with all of the Italian influence it's um it's a great town it's fantastic and we were just lucky there were a lot of people our age there at the time and so it was really good so you obviously decided at some point that you and your husband would end up together and got married and you said that you moved out to Oxley out to your property yeah so you moved out to your property when you were pregnant with your first child yeah yes so when we got married yes. we actually lived for nearly a couple of years at Bill's family farm yep near Darlington Point sorry so you moved to Bill's family farm at Darlington Point yes so we were there for two years or just thereabout yep and then this opportunity came up for us to move out on our own, which was fantastic. And we were looking at places all over New South Wales, but this property called Curra came up and, you know, not far from Hay and it, it ticked all the boxes. So we bought it and we didn't move out here straight away. When We bought it and, and moved out sort of six months after we bought it, I guess. Yeah. And I was, I was heavily pregnant with our first son, Willie. Do so, you remember what you felt making that move when, when you were pregnant? Like, do you remember, like, were you excited? Were you scared? Were you nervous? No, I wasn't nervous at all. I I sort of had full trust in Bill. He's very good at what he does. And I just thought if he thinks this will work, then, you know, let's go for it. And I think so. I was so heavily pregnant at that stage. I, I remember driving around on one of the tour inspections, nodding off in the backseat, <laughs> which... <laughs> which is a bit embarrassing when you're sort of looking at your future home. But I guess, yeah, I was a bit preoccupied with, you know, having our first baby and and I just sort of like, yep, you know, great. If you think this is work going to work, let's do it. Um, <laughs> I'll start packing the boxes. <laughs> and I think, you know, when you're that age, and I sort of look back, I mean, it wasn't nearly as big a move as my mum did. Mm. but. It's that age, isn't it, where it's all exciting and you don't really think too long, you know, too far down the track, I mm. guess. Mm. You just get on with it and think, yep, that'll be great. Mm. And the fact that it wasn't too far out of hay, 
you know, with sort of a lot of Bill's mates are still around Hay and their wives. So it wasn't totally foreign. Well, that leads me to that question. So, I mean, you've settled it, Cara. You've had your first son, Willie. And so tell me a bit about who was your village when you were at home being a mother to very young children. Who helped you? Well, as I mentioned, that there were definitely the, the girlfriend, well, they were the girlfriends when I first met them, of Bill's mates and who had now become wives and were sort of on the same timeline as us, you know, as, a, as often happens. So they were having their first babies and things. So that was a wonderful time. And, and we'd go into Hay and meet up with the babies and or just talk on the phone. So that was really important looking back and I knew it at the time as well especially with the with your first baby it's sort of always nice to know you're not the only one you know when the wheels are all falling off and going pear-shaped and then we also had we were surrounded by fantastic neighbours and that was the other plus that we knew Jen and Dave at Tupra Mm. Um, they actually moved there at a similar time that we moved out here. So it was quite comforting, you know, although they weren't right next door, um, you sort of knew they were there. And we've got a wonderful family, also neighbours, and they have been fantastic right from the start. So helpful to build with the farm side and welcoming to us both. Mm. So it's it's funny and I'm always quite amused when, you know, you sort of drive out with people who haven't been out here before and, and they sort of say, God, there's just no one here. Mm. You know, it's just so isolated. And I guess, you know, at first it, it does look daunting, but, but th- then when I'm driving along, I sort of know, oh, that's so-and-so lives in there and, you know, the uh, that family and and you think, no, no, this isn't isolated. We're just driving through Bob's paddocks or you have that knowing that you're actually surrounded by community. You can't, you can't see them all the time, but they are there. Oh, I think that is a great, it, I mean, that answer you gave, Pip, just like, it just reminded me of, of the laneway of your childhood. It's just a much bigger laneway. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> a few more kilometres. <laughs> and on that note, you know, you're talking about the laneway of your childhood and that sense of community. And, and it seems from what you say about your community out here around Cowrie's that would you say that neighbours, and please correct me if I'm wrong, well, I probably am, but it seems to me that neighbours in the laneway are lovely and supportive and important, but neighbours out where you are are essential, like you rely on each other. Is that a fair statement? Yes, very much so. Although I I did see my friends in the laneway as essential if, you know, when it came to bike accessories, our push bike accessories. <laughs> But, yeah, very, very much so. Um, Constantly in terms of farm work and, yeah, you do do rely on your neighbours a lot. And I can think one one incident, I had a bit of a a buster in a car when I was pregnant with Willie and our neighbours were the first to arrive. You know, I'd rolled the vehicle and... 
you know, the flying doctors came. And then when I was in Broken Hill, our neighbours looked after the place, you know, while Bill was away. And and there's very much that that sense of, you know, you'll you'll do anything for your neighbours. And yeah, so it's it's very tight. And it's funny because you know, it's sort of almost a bit like family. You know, you can't pick your family, you can't pick your neighbours, but you do, you rely on on each other heavily and you know that someone's always there no matter what your situation. Mm. Mm. It's a real privilege, I think, to be surrounded by people like that, I guess. Yes, it is a real privilege. So I'm going to come back to that. We're going to talk a bit more about community again at the end. Just as it made me um, think a bit, I didn't ask. So, I mean, Dole Stevens, for instance, she did a lot of, as you know, she's famous for doing a lot of farm work, like quite groundbreaking. She did a lot of man's work. She, you know, she was still mustering on horseback long after all the men in her life had moved to motorbikes. Do you do much physical farm work? I used to, Dimity, when we first came out, we didn't have a lot of money, like a lot of newly married couples. So we were trying to save wherever we could. And Bill and I used to do all our lamb marking, just the two of us. And that was great. And I'd help Bill with mastering where I could. And... I have learned over the years a little bit about plumbing and how to connect pumps and prime pumps and things because you you have to, you know, it's sort of a case of you either wait till Bill comes home at the end of the day or if you want some water in the house, then you have to just sort of go and fiddle about and try and work things out. And I just always, I've always joked with Bill that it, it's just sort of DIY land, I guess, a little bit, <laughs> which has always been the case. I mean, all of, a lot of these farms out here are soldier settler blocks. So when I mentioned before about Dole and Generation, you know, they were really DIY and didn't have a lot to work with. Really tough. I don't think I could have come out there then, out here then. What do you see now? I mean, surely there's still things, like you've said, you've had to do a lot of your own, you know, plumbing and all that kind of stuff at DYI. What do you see still as like a major kind of thing that you don't have that say I even have in Albury, you know, or the people would have in the township of Hay? Like what's still something that you feel is a disadvantage? Well, communication technology is just constantly letting us down. And as you said, we could do a whole other podcast on that one. But um, I guess I don't ever sort of have that sense of oh, being, being let down. I find things frustrating at times, but I guess you just sort of learn to work around things and compensate. You know, I think I would be, you know, sort of being from a medical background, I guess that's one thing that sort of freaks me out sometimes if certain things have happened and things have happened, but it sort of seems to work out. You know, we've got it like a medical chest here from the flying doctors. And so you just make things work, I guess. And I think that's a little bit like country people you just it's a, that practicality you just make things work and get on with things a little bit
I mean, what's the, I focused on the negative there, but also but. Like, I was going to ask, I focused on the negative, you're going to say, but I could have the same thing. So, I mean, let's focus on the absolute positives. Like what's so amazing about living out in Kara as opposed to the centre of Albury, you know, townie. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, Bill and I often chat, particularly if we've been in Sydney, we, you know, driving home, we'll often compare little bits and pieces. And having grown up in Sydney, I, I really love a wonderful place for family and kids to grow up. I mean, it's just, it's unreal. You know, they have space and they become quite independent. And I don't mean that city kids don't. It's in a different way, I guess. And things like, you know, they're able to go and help their dad at his work and know exactly what he does for his work. I don't think a lot of city kids get that opportunity. And you sort of form a pretty tight unit, I guess. You know, we'll often do farm work together or we've got three kids two boys and a girl and and our boys they're really good at helping bill on the farm you do form a very tight bond i guess regarding that i think that's a wonderful thing about being where we are uh and they're they're all pretty close they to their you know they love their home so they did school of the air i think people would be interested Mm. so i mean this is a i'm going to ask the obvious question for our podcast Mm. listeners why did your children have to do school of the air well, we're just too far from a bus, a school bus, basically. And there are different ways of tackling it. Some families, most often the mum, might move into town and have a house in town. And, you know, the kids go to the local primary school. That wasn't going to work for us. So we thought we'll do school of the air. And a couple of our friends had already started School of the Air, so it was lovely to get their feedback on how it worked. And we moved out here knowing that that would be the case. So when it came to school, it wasn't a surprise. That was one thing I did take in on our tour. I think I was awake for that bit. Get a governess. But we back in that time, um, again, when, when you, we were sort of starting out, we didn't have accommodation that would be suitable for a governor. So, yeah, I just became the supervisor. And I laugh about it now and I apologise to the kids for slamming doors and shouting at them and <laughs> and all of that sort of carry on. But, you know... I think I became more chilled as they got a bit, we got into sort of year five and six. But yeah, we did have some laughs. I I did pretty well, went through the whole School of the Air journey with great friends of ours whose mum, the mum also did the supervising. So Caro and I had a lot of laughs over the years and that was great because I didn't really know, I mean, I knew those guys, that family, but and I didn't have a lot to do with Caro, but I formed a lot of tight friendships through School of the Air with the other mums. 
And that was lovely. Yeah, I can imagine that. Like, do you all, I mean, are you kind of organised in regions? And then do you have regions where you can all go and meet for an excursion or something? Like, does that how it kind of works? Mm. And meet up in the kind of community of your pool of the air region? Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the principal campus is Broken Hill for School of the Air. And we're, we're lucky that there still is, but there was a campus in Hay. Our teachers were in Hay. And And so every term we would have a mini school. So all the kids and supervisors would go and stay in Hay for four days or whatever. So that was fantastic. And we'd all stay at the caravan park and in our cabins and have barbecues at night and catch-ups. So it was really fun. It was great. And then sometimes we'd all go to someone's property Mm. for the day of activities they were called cluster days and that was lovely because the kids could then see where all their mates lived and where their schoolroom was and you know their bikes and their endless pets and all of that sort of stuff that is really amazing is boarding school the only option for high school when you're as isolated as you guys it pretty well is and again unless I was to go and live in town, then it is pretty well the only option. And you you can do school of the year for high school, but that would not be normal for a a kid to have no friends. That's the big bummer. As I keep saying to the kids, that's what the major downside of where we live, that you have to go away for high school. And I've found it very hard to get my head around it, I must say. It's so not normal sending your kids away at the age of 12. It's um, it's a tough one. Our son, two boys, so one's in year 11, um, Patty's in year 10, and Lottie's in year 8. Mm. And when she headed off, it was quite bizarre. I've become very good mates with our little dog, Herbie. Um, <laughs> so it is weird, but I mean, we're, we're very lucky in that my family are all in Sydney. And so that's, that's really comforting to know that they're there. If there's a crisis or someone needs to go out for the weekend, we're pretty lucky that they're there. What happened last year in the long Sydney lockdown? Like, did they have to come home? Did they stay in the boarding house? Was that a very difficult time? I think they loved it. They all came home and... It was just like being back at school of the air, logging on for lessons. Mm. So they were quite used to it, I think. It was quite funny, actually. I was saying to them, oh, my God, I thought I'd got rid of you all out of the schoolhouse, you know, and you're all back. What's going on? Yeah. Um, But it it was lovely. It was great having them home. I mean, they did a great job, but they weren't used to teaching online I guess so I think when they they were on the screen a lot and that becomes a bit uninspiring how are you forming your community now Pip like is it still your neighbors and the friends that supported you when the children were young is it still the same community that's keeping you and Bill strong there on the farm Yeah, it's definitely a neighbour community and it's funny because I mentioned earlier there's a lovely little church in Oxley and it's quite nice in that it's become a bit of a central meeting point. You know, we sort of organise, I mean, we don't have church very often. It's sort of three times a year maybe. 
but it's very much a it's just a meeting place really i mean sure we we have mass but it's more about the drinks and things afterwards outside the church when it's finished and I did I actually tried we've got a new priest and I sort of tried to explain that to him and I didn't mean to offend him but I I think he took that the wrong way that it's it's more about the the catch-up afterwards than the mass he was wondering how to get numbers build numbers and I sort of suggested that we promote the the social side of it <laughs> and that's the thing that it we do get people who are not religious at all but they they'll come for the catch-up which is great and again you just have interactions with neighbors you know they're driving through or they might pop in for a drink but I guess our in terms of in town we do catch up with our old friends from town, you know, we'll go to try and get into a rugby game. Yeah. So you catch up with friends and you're usually on the those committees with like-minded people. Mm. You know, it seems to be the same people on the, on the committees all the time. Mm. But I guess at the moment, the kids being in Sydney, we're spending a lot of time, our friends, travelling to see them, mm. which it has been really lovely because we've caught up with old friends and made lots of new friends with the parents at the boarding schools, and that's pretty refreshing, which is just great. You know, on the sidelines at sport or there are lots of family functions, and that's been really nice, actually. And well, especially the mums seem to do a lot more than the dads, but I've made some really good, friend, you know, strong friendships through the, the kids' boarding school connection, you know, through their friends. So, yeah, that's been really good. What do you think are problems that you guys might face living remotely that is unique to you as a woman or as a mother? You know, that's two separate things, actually, but, you know, that are unique to the female genders making a life out there that, that mm-hmm. men are not experiencing. I guess going back to pregnancy times and, you know, having little kids, I guess access to health is probably one of them. And particularly in those early days when you've got a newborn and tired and I remember feeling quite isolated at times, even though I had phone access to friends. And actually that's where my girlfriends like Alison who had newborns, I'd spend a lot of time on the phone. And that was a godsend really because Bill had to go to work and so you are on your own with this little person and I remember distinctly, you know, feeling very isolated Mm. and luckily that didn't last. But I think things like access to health, I mean, there's not a lot really you can do about it. That's just something that you accept Mm. over time, I guess. That's where you live. You can't make the kilometres any shorter. And there are things that are improving, especially the whole whole Zoom thing, technology, Mm. that sort of side's a bit more accessible. But I'm just thinking, I guess it's sort of up to the individual. You've got to have a bit of motivation no matter where you live, I think. You could live in the middle of Sydney with everything on your doorstep, but if you don't have a bit of nous or a bit of motivation, you can sort of be shut off anywhere, really. Walk a kilometre down to a mother's group as it does to drive 120. Like it's the same 
you've got to have the same motivation mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. to get in the car and do it no matter how close it is yeah i think so i remember having quite a few stops on the way into hay or back out to home um so you might have to pack a few more arrowroot biscuits <laughs> all those boxes of sultanas oh, yeah. um but <laughs> yeah but they but get all through the car throw them everywhere that's quite handy though because if you're desperate you can rustle up you can almost rustle up a meal from behind underneath the car seat so I just think I never felt felt that I think it was more if you had that support and someone else saying oh yeah come on in we'll meet we'll meet for a coffee so I I think that would make it difficult if you're out here and you didn't have that external person saying, come on, you know, I'll introduce you to so-and-so or whatever. You just need that start, that starting point. And I do think that's wherever you live, really. Yes, I think you're right there. So do you think that in your life on the farm or as a nurse or growing up, can you identify any roadblocks you think you faced because of your gender or because you're a mum? Gosh, nothing comes to mind. I don't think so. I think, I mean, with career-wise, I mean, nursing such a female-dominated mm. career anyway, and it was probably the opposite. I probably encountered some very strong career-orientated women in that field. And I certainly wanted to do, you know, I did sort of further study in intensive care stuff, but I was never really fully driven. I was sort of just happy to go with the flow a little bit. But, yeah, so definitely no roadblocks there. Mm. I was encouraged, encouraged by colleagues and stuff to do study and all that sort of thing. And then I don't think so. This sort of rural community, it's probably quite interesting actually just thinking about it because I think it's well established in a rural community that a lot of stuff just doesn't get done and the women do it, you know, particularly the education side of things. I mean, a lot of dads are taking part nowadays, which is fantastic, but particularly with School of the Air, it's often the mum who is the supervisor. You know, on committees in town, it's often the women who keep a lot of the cogs turning, you know, the the wheels turning with sport and all that sort of stuff. So I think I have never experienced it. that you're hearing all these things, you know, women, they're keeping everything together, keeping everything running, which has always been the case and will possibly be the case for time mm. memoriam, you know. How do men get together? Like, do you think that men out there do find ways to talk to each other enough? What's your observations about that? I think it's it's probably getting better. Mm. Um, but I, I know with my husband, Bill, that he can very easily get so caught up with work. Oh, no, I haven't got time to go into town. Or And I think it's probably the case more, and I know our friends, we've talked about it with them, that, again, when you're newly married and you've got a young business and you're getting off the ground, it was probably more in those days where they would fall into the trap of, 
of not going to town for weeks and weeks and then you know they'd have to go in for something and and would come back really refreshed and oh that was great you know I just I ran into so-and-so at the bakery but I think it's sort of as we've moved on and again it's it's committees it's sport you know they'd be roped in to do the barbecues at Auskick or sports a big a big thing even if you don't have kids or you don't play or whatever it's a big thing in a small community isn't it that anyone can rock up and I think that's a big thing for for the male population around a small town and you know just thinking of Bill it's it's being on committees Mm. you know that can be a bit of a curse sometimes but then other times it's a great way to catch up with other blokes in the community. When I say the term community, what Mm. comes to mind? What does that mean to you? I guess the first word that came to mind is people. I suppose here it's, and and round home came to mind first, you know, like our sort of, our little group around our place here. And then I suppose, yeah, you said I branch out to the things in town but my immediate response would be people around home, I guess, a very local community, which is luckily for us a tight, a tight-knit group. And, yeah, it means a lot to us. And it's funny, as I said before, it's not necessarily, they're not necessarily people that you would ring and sort of say, oh, come and we'll meet up for lunch in town or, I mean, it would be great if you ran into them in town, but it's... um. Yeah, it's you just know that they're there and it's which is wonderful. Yeah. Okay. What do you think has changed most for women living on remote properties like you and Dole? What do you think has changed the most between when Dole Stevens was living mm. out here, say fifty years ago? She's ninety. So when she was about forty, to you living out here now. What's a big change? Oh, gosh, there are lots of changes, I guess. I mean, I guess the most obvious one would be technology. You know, the fact that we we were trying to look at each other on the <laughs> camera. How amazing. Mobile phones. The fact that I can speak to all of our, our three kids, you know, they have a mobile phone, a boarding school. I mean, back with Dole and her kids, they would have been writing a letter, you know, it's sort of, that's huge. And yeah, I don't feel as far away from my kids, I guess. Or, you know, when I had babies, I knew I could just pick up the phone and talk to my friends if I was having a crappy day. Mm. I don't know what that would have been like for Dole and women who lived out here where I live. You know, I felt isolated at times in those those days with little babies, but that would have been really isolating and really tough, I think. Practical things like water, you know, like our on our farm pumps and things and we can keep a garden going. Previously, these poor women would get a garden going and then there'd be a drought no water, everything would die, you'd have to start again. Things like that would be quite soul-destroying and I think I'd leave, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know how they I don't know how they stuck it out for so long. So and then of course, you know, all those sorts of handy things that make jobs a bit easier, washing machines and all that sort of stuff. 
and the party line, you know, that's sort of we drive past that on our way into town. And that's the thing, like, you know, if, um, you know, even just going back to the phone, you know, in those early days, just thinking of doll, you know, even if you did want to call someone up, there'd be God knows how many people listening to you, <laughs> all your woes. And yeah, that would be slightly off-putting, wouldn't it? Gosh. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? The blocks out where we are mm. were soldier settler blocks. And so, um, you know, the stories of the women here, they were just unbelievable because they all came back here after the war. So a lot of things were scarce. There were, you couldn't get a washing machine. It was all done by hand and, yeah, hot water. You just have to boil it yourself. It was just a nightmare. And getting to town would be once a month, you know. It's amazing, isn't it? I it mean, is how, quite amazing. I mean, how often would you get into town? on any week well when the kids were at home we'd go in once a week and you know they'd i would try and get them into the little local public school on a friday just so that they could you know have a day and exposure to other kids you know and do the shop and pick up stuff for the farm and then we would also do some sort of sport on the weekend. And now, I guess, when it's just Bill and I at home now, it's sort of hit and miss and I've become a bit lazy and I'm sort of, you know, making every lettuce leaf go the distance and really, really pushing the menu. You know, there's, um, what can I do with a tin of tomatoes? We've talked a lot mm-hmm. about your role in the land and the difference to doll that we just talked about it. Let's move forward, say, if your daughter ever ever decides to live on the land or, or your son, mm-hmm. the next generation, what do you think they're going to face? How do you think it's going to be different or the same? I think a lot of it will be the same. I think things change slowly probably, and that's one thing I've learned living out here I used to always be, you know, this has got to happen now sort of person. Or I guess that's what I I was used to, you know, when I was living with mum and dad, if something broke or something needed to happen, mum would be on the phone, someone would be around tomorrow. But out here, things, they happen slowly, you know, and you plan for things. And I guess that's a lot to do with things can't control i.e the the weather so i think you know if you're living on the land you will be dictated to by the weather and what that brings or doesn't bring but i hope things like those sort of day-to-day things that we've already mentioned like technology and stuff in terms of running a business i hope they improve and also becoming a bit more self-sufficient in terms of power that would be really nice. I mean, Bill and I would love to one day. That's our, one of our goals to you know go solar for everything. We're not cropping, so we don't have a lot of machinery going, relying on fuel. But yes. we certainly use a bit, and I think it's going that way. You know, everyone's it is going that way, which is great. Yeah, an interesting question. I I can't see a lot of huge changes. Because I think this is the very nature of farming, the weather. 
comes down to your season, really. Yes. So what life advice or words of wisdom would you like to pass to a future you, a future city girl who falls in love and marries a remote farmer and moves out to somewhere Mm -hmm. like Caro? What advice do you have for that person? Gosh, advice. I think just to always be prepared to give things a go, get involved with your community and it's a it's give and take, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help from those people around you because people really love helping, I think, you know, it makes it's a feel good thing. So I think get involved and, and do get to know your community and it your community doesn't have to be huge. It's what you're comfortable with, I guess your community and then you can feel comfortable being part of it and contributing and as I say asking those in your community for help I think that becomes a very important part doesn't it of your life as you get on your community I think that would be what I would say 